as we go through this passage. I'm just going to read verses 8 through 11 just to kind of set this up and then take a quick look at a few principles from verses 12 down through verse 16. Look at verse 8. He said, more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. At the beginning of chapter 3, Paul goes through this litany, this list of things that, that, were, that would have been to his gain, his, his, his heritage, his, um, uh, just who, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to law of Pharisee. He went through all of these things that would have been in the plus column of his life that, that he would have been viewed as being valuable things. And he says, but in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things, he says, I count that as rubbish. So it doesn't mean that everything in your life is rubbish. It just means that in comparison to knowing Christ, that knowing Christ becomes the central focus of, of the heart of the true child of God. And so the things that you might have counted as gain, he, Paul's reminding the, the believers here in this church that there's something that's even of greater value than those things. And so you, you young adults need to remember this as you're heading off, whether it's to college, the gap ministry, or just continuing on at work at the Chick-fil-A, that you're going to be defined by the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. That's going to be the defining relationship and, the, and the, the defining aspect of who you are as a person as other people are observing you and watching you that's going to be the thing that they know and if he is elevated to a place of of, um, of being first place in your life the world will see and the world will know and Paul is indicating that that's what he has done because he wants to notice he says because he wants to be he wants to gain Christ to be what says to be found in Christ not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. So he wants to be found in him in a righteousness that comes from Jesus. Not from trying to be some really good person that keeps the law, but he recognizes that Jesus is the central, the fulcrum. Jesus is the righteousness of God. As we read today, he's the final and last priest because he endures forever. The other priest of the priesthood, they died. Jesus is alive and living forever. And so there's a righteousness that comes from God that's on the basis of faith. You young adults need to remember that you're a person of faith. You are a person of faith. And you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand strong. And Paul also wants to know him, that I may know him, and to know the power of his resurrection. Now this part right here, the power of his resurrection, he's going, to build up, he's going to build off this concept, off this theme, as he picks up from verse 11 and all the way through verse 16, and it's going to be the prize to which he's looking forward to and running for and striving for. This resurrection con concept, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order, verse 11, that I may attain, and this word right here is going to carry over for us importantly into verse 12, this attain word, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so notice verse 12, and, and notice how he picks up on attain, uh, uh, this right here. Not that I have already obtained it. So what was he wanting to attain? He was wanting to attain to the resurrection from the dead. In other words, the apostle Paul is living with an eternal perspective. He's living with the end in mind. He's already 
recognizing that as he's going through his life and he's being conformed to Christ's death, he's being conformed to the fellowship of his sufferings, he has a goal towards resurrection. He has a goal towards what? Being with Christ. And so when you get to verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained it. In other words, I, have not, I haven't been either raptured or resurrected and absent from the body present with Christ. That he hasn't obtained that yet. Or have already become perfect, meaning that whenever you're perfected, whenever you have that resurrection, or, or you're perhaps, we perhaps may be raptured, that would be a beautiful day, right? That's when we would obtain this sense of perfection, of being completely known, glorification, justification, progressive sanctification, glorification, being perfect, which comes when we obtain it. And the it that we obtain, again, is resurrection from the dead. So Paul, young adults, is focused his life on the end, not just the things that's right there in front of him. In other words, he's going to take care of the tasks that are in front of him. He's going to do what he has to do, but he's not living for those things or in light of those things. He's living with something far greater in mind. His gaze is above that horizon of the here and the now. But the here and the now is extremely important. I've reminded my dear Abigail, remember, uh, God sent you to OU to get an education. We love that you love doing ministry there, but if you don't get your education, then you didn't do the main thing that we sent you there to accomplish. And she always reminds me, yeah, but you're not God. Not really. She doesn't do that to me. But I'm not. But you're there to get in it. You have to do the things that are before you. There's going to be a wake-up time to get somewhere, Benjamin. And mom and dad can't be there kind of, you know, ringing that bell. Mikhail or Julie, I don't know if anybody, but, you know, there's... Taking care of the business at hand is what you have to be taken care of. But Paul is saying, I'm living, though, yes, doing the things he has to do, but with a gaze towards eternity. Who am I in relationship with Christ? Resurrection from the dead. But, so he hasn't obtained it. He hasn't become perfect, glorified. But, notice, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So contextually, what was the thing that he was laid hold of? I press on so that I may lay hold of that. That. That I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. What is the that? I press on so that I may lay hold of that. I'm pressing on in life knowing that someday I'm going to be with Christ in his presence and that's what I continue to press on toward. Your relationship with Christ isn't just an attachment of who you are. It's absolutely the, the center of your being and who you are is your relationship with God. So while you are doing the things you need to be doing, church, all of us, we need to have an intentional mindset that we are pressing on, not forgetting what we have to take care of, but that we are pressing on for that one thing. And what is that? We're living in light of the fact that there is a resurrection coming and we will see him face to face. Do you believe that, church? We believe that. 
And when we slow down long enough to think about it, we say, yes, we believe that. But sometimes we get real busy, can't we? And we can get real busy and we kind of can forget about that kind of easily. And so this is a passage where we're kind of able to slow down, to think about that, and to be mindful of living in light of eternity. The things you do now matter for time and eternity. Veterinarian, what's veterinarian degree have to do with going to do missions overseas? Well, there's a shortage of veterinarian care in other parts of the world, and I can go there and serve in that capacity so that I can be a missionary for Jesus and make his name great. Living in light of eternity. Why you do the things you do, and connecting that by, with the concept of living in light of eternity. Pressing on for that, for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. What was the purpose for which you were laid hold of? Why did God open the eyes of your heart so that you could recognize your sin and need of a Savior? Why did he lay hold of you? was for this very purpose as well, to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ completely one day through glorification, through resurrection or rapture. That's what Paul is saying. And so when he transitions, well, I've got another transition here, but I'm going to transition a little faster because my time is upon me already. So as he continues, he says, listen, in verse 13, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. So he's He's saying, look, I'm, this, this is not something that, that I've accomplished, but, and notice this key phrase right here, but. How many things does he do? Go ahead. One. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Now, what would be the significance of of this idea of forgetting what lies behind and then reaching forward to what lies ahead. Now, we know what the reaching forward to would be making reference to in this context. It would be reaching forward to what lies ahead, resurrection or rapture. Reaching forward to being with Christ, being in his presence that there is in his life. But what would be the significance of forgetting what lies behind? Well, the significance is, is that as we are sojourners in life, we're not perfect like the Lord Jesus himself was. And the adversary oftentimes likes to use our past failures as some sort of a construct or metric by which we sometimes think that we can never attain to this thing that the scriptures call us to attain for. Living a life for the Lord that's, that's above the fray, that's living in light of eternity, of actually being able to do that. And so we have these things in our past that the word of God here is specifically saying, the one thing I do is I forget about what lies behind. The things that are in my rearview mirror in life, perhaps stumbling blocks, or whatever they may be, bad relationships, or maybe even good relationships that turned into distractions that prevented me from living in light of eternity, and I started living for the here and the now. Whatever these things were, were he says, the one thing I'm constantly doing, and that's why I said intentionally thinking about who you, who you are and whose you are and the goal that you're pressing on towards is we have to be intentional in our thinking. The one thing he's doing is he's thinking about something. It's about not allowing things in his past to, to slow him down and to be a distraction for him. Whatever that may be in your life, young adults, forget about it. Reach forward to what lies ahead. And what lies ahead for you? 
is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Resurrection as a result of death, absent from the body, present with the Lord, or rapture. Live in light of eternity. Live before the only true and living God in everything you do. So in verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's the upward call of God? It's resurrection or rapture. You see how all the way back in verse 11, that resurrection theme, he's just carrying that resurrection or rapture theme all the way through. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is singularly focused on what it would look like to be in a relationship with Christ in the here and the now. This word right here, goal, I press on toward the goal. This word, scopos, probably think of the word scope. It's a mark on which to fix one's eyes, scopos. I press on toward the goal, scopos, fixing your eyes on the goal, on the purpose of the prize. And your prize, young adults, your prize, believer, is that upon your perhaps untimely earthly death, as tragic as that may sound, it's actually the greatest thing that will ever happen to you in your human existence because it will usher you immediately, absent from the body, present with Christ. If that's not a prize, I don't know what is. Did you like the song that we that last song we sang? Do you feel the world is broken? We do. We feel it, didn't we not? And so we long for that prize. It's a goal. It's that to which we have our eyes fixed. It's our, our resurrection, or perhaps one day rapture, our upward call of God in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Come soon, Lord Jesus. And then in verse 15, he says, Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And it seems to me that perfect here has the idea of, of being saved, as many as who have been perfected, who have been justified. Let us have this kind of attitude, the kind of attitude that the Apostle Paul has just laid out there. So as many of us, you might even say loosely, belong to God, are, are perfect. Our children of God have had our spiritual eyes opened. Let us have this attitude. That's the attitude that you need to have, intentionally thinking about living in light of eternity, the prize of being with the only true and living God forever and ever and ever, and how much greater that's going to be than here. And why would that, what would that, how is that going to help you, by the way, in the here and the now? Is that going to make you a better husband? It absolutely will. A better wife? Without question. A better friend? Undeniably. Doing that is going to make you a better human being in every context that you will ever find yourself in in life. That's what godliness will do for you. And if in any saying you have a different attitude, did we talk last week about how God loves to discipline those who are his own? We did, didn't we? Hebrews 12. And so if, you, if you're claiming to know Christ, but you might have a little bit of a different attitude, I, I'm kind of wanting to get a little bit of mine here and now. You know, Greg, like I'm, I want to I have a little fun before I really get it all tidied up. No, 
God will reveal that to you. And that's what we were talking about last week in Hebrews 12. God chastens those whom he loves. If you belong to God, he's not going to let you just go off and sin indefinitely without bringing a chastening hand in, into your life. If not, then like we mentioned last week, the scripture is just saying perhaps you're an illegitimate child. You don't really belong to God. And that's a whole different topic that we could be talking about. We talked some of it last week. But listen, this is the attitude that we as God's children are to have. The attitude of looking forward to the prize, of pressing on, forgetting what's behind. And he says in verse 16, and wrapping this up, he says that we need to keep living. And notice how this is, what's the implication here? However, let us keep living by that same standard. The implication here is that God's children do this. This is what God's children do. So let us keep living by that same standard. And the standard is this attitude of having the attitude of desiring to be with God, desiring to be with Christ, desiring to press forward to the goal, forgetting about anything that may stumble us up, sins that we get so easily entangled with. Forget about that stuff. It's, not, it's of no value. The lie from the adversary says, oh, this is of the greatest value you're ever going to find in, ever. If you just go down this sinful path, it's the, you're going to find and discover the most amazing truths ever. If you just eat that apple, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God. Father of lies has been saying that same nasty lie from the beginning. But not God's people. We are, we are a different, peculiar people this is the attitude we're to have. God will show you if that's not the heart that you currently have, that's the heart you need to have because it's clearly implied here. Let us keep living by that same standard. And the standard to which we're living by is living in light of eternity, living for the only true living God, wanting our lives to matter. We don't know the length of our stay. We don't know. We, we have no idea. But whatever it may be, the standard of Christ-likeness, of living for God, living in light of eternity, knowing that one day God's people will be bodily present with him, absent from this body but present with the Lord, right? Amen? So young adults, keep living by the same standard that your mom and dad have, have demonstrated and modeled for you. Live by that same standard that your grandparents have lived and modeled for you. Live by that same standard that the apostles have laid out for us and have demonstrated in the scriptures for you. Live by that same standard that you've seen uh, other family families within the church and friends have lived before you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Keep living by that same standard to which you have attained through conversion as you go off out into the world to, to become a young adult who's making a difference in life and with your life. Amen? Keep living as one who knows Christ. That's my encouragement, exhortation, and challenge to you graduating seniors and the rest of us. Let's pray.